0: The lie of the church told me is that when we hang out with sinners, we become like them. Growing up in church, we always had this thought that when we hang out with people who aren't like us, the people who, quote, you know, do bad things, um, that it's going to rub off on us and we, we become like them. And so we always separated ourselves from people that were, quote, like that. Uh, that was great and all you know, until I became one of those people was always the, the church kid who everyone kind of had the, the perfect perception of growing up. My, my dad and my brother were both pastors, and so I kind of had to add up um, to what they were. Um, and I, I think at times it became overwhelming, and so at one point in my life, I, I completely ran from God. Um, I went um, as far as I could the opposite way. I, I became um, really really hateful towards the church, I, I, I hated everything that it, had, that it stood for, I hated what the people stood for, and just really, really began to, to hate um, going, and so I, I stopped. Um, I stopped surrounding myself with people um, that, that claimed to be one thing and did another, uh, and so in my life, I, I saw that the further I got away um, from those people, um, the further they got away from me. I mean, it was, it was a long progression. And at one point, I had to come back home to the people that I always knew. Um, and, and they all knew that I had gone so far from God. They, they knew the things I had done. They knew the life I was living. And they began to really alienate me. They, they would you know, tell people to stay away from me. They, they wouldn't want to associate. They would tell me you know, things like, you know you don't belong here. They would, they would tell my family... Um, that they'd given up on me, no one believed in me um, anymore, Um, and really the church was done with me. Um, Despite all the time I'd spent in it as a kid, despite all of the, the things that we talk about, about Jesus and His love, really they showed me something different, and that was that they thought that being around me would make them like me. Had it not been for a couple of people in my life, some family and some friends who really believed in me and acted like Jesus, they got involved in my life even though it was messy, even though people questioned their integrity and people questioned um, their walk with God. They chose to get messy and they chose to be involved in my life. And so, slowly but surely, um, because of these people's influence and because of their love and, and really them acting out their faith, um, I began to change, I began to see my life turn around. And, and it's because of those people that I'm that I'm here today. I'm doing what I do um, as a worship pastor at a church. Um, when the church told me that I couldn't make anything out of myself, um, God chose to turn me around.
1: And our whole point of this series is to really take and look at some things that many times we say in church, because I believe many times church tells us some things inadvertently that they don't really mean to say, but sometimes it gets said, and we always need to go back to what anybody tells us, and we need to go back to the Bible, because the Bible is our authority on life, not church, not a denomination, not what a person says, but what God says. So that's what we're doing in the next three weeks. We're looking at lies that the church told me. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, I I, as, as we were kind of going through this, there's a lot of stuff out there that, again, I don't think the church means to say, but inadvertently they do say. The first one is this. Here's a lot. Uh, but coming to church will change your life. Sounds good, and sometimes churches communicate that. But if you think about it, the only thing that can change people's lives is who? Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. Um, here's another one that getting serious, getting more religion will change your life. And, uh, uh, we've talked about this before, but the root word for religion is bondage, that it's not about religion. That's not what Christianity is about. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's one that I got told a lot, and, uh, this is just totally it. What you look on the outside is just as important as what you are on the inside. Uh, this was told to me because um, you know we had to dress up for church, and some of y'all remember dressing up for church, and nothing wrong with dressing up for church, nothing wrong with that. But if the whole point of dressing up for church is thinking that you're going to impress your Heavenly Father, then that's not a great thing. So even though there's nothing wrong with dressing up, wearing a tie and all that, if you think that God's going to be impressed by your outward appearance, He's not. In fact, here's a verse for you, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God says this, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That's exactly right. That God really doesn't care what you look like on the outside. Man may, but God really doesn't. Let me give you another one. Every day with Jesus is sweeter and sweeter. I mean, there are, there are wonderful songs written about that wonderful truth. Here's the problem with that. Is what, uh, it, becoming a Christian is kind of like working out. If you're lifting weights and it's easy for you, then you're doing it wrong, right? I mean, if it's something that you're doing, it's it's just not happening because every day with Jesus, he's going to get more up in your business, and there's going to be more things that you're struggling with and you think, ah, you know, I, that, didn't, that sin didn't bother me last year, but it's bothering me this year. Or, or How do you tell that every day with Jesus is sweeter and sweeter to a Christian, a Christ follower who's in a Muslim country, who gets killed sharing their faith? Every day with Jesus is just sweeter than sweeter. Let me give you another one. That, that coming to church, coming to Jesus is going to solve all your problems. Now, that is half true. It's going to solve some of your problems. It's going to solve the problem that you struggle with when it comes to what you should do in life and and, and your purpose in life. It's going to solve that problem, but I promise you it will create more problems for you as well. So, let's just don't say that. I mean, what do you tell the lady who just started coming to one church and gave her heart and her life to Jesus Christ, and now she's wanting to follow Jesus, but yet her husband isn't coming to one church, and Jesus is a source of contention and war in their marriage. In fact, even Jesus said it this way, that I came not to bring peace to everybody, but to bring a sword to some people. give you another one. Now, this one's a huge one, and this is the one we're going to be talking about today. That if you hang out with sinners, you're going to catch what they have. That sin is contagious like a virus. How many of y'all got one of these things when you got in? All right, they're a little freaky, a little funky. All right. Um, but these are like masks that you put over your, your face. And so many times when we become Christ followers, we think we can't get around people, other people, because we may catch what they have. That because of what they're doing and who they're hanging out with and this and that, that we may catch what they have. In fact, sometimes even our moms even said that, right? They even said, you don't need to hang out with those people because you're going to become like them. And there is some true statements to that, but we're going to be looking at a story from the Bible that totally debunks that lie, totally debunks it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now, a couple of ways you can follow along with us. If you have a smartphone, you can download the YouVersion app. You can follow along with it. Uh, we ask that you would take out your phones. In fact, my phone number is going to be up here. So if you would like to text me some of your questions, uh, at the end of the service, we're going to be able to answer some of your questions on the fly. So you can follow along with your phones. You can follow along on the screens. Uh, but we also give away free Bibles here at One Church, So you're welcome to come and grab those as well. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And this is, what, this is how the story begins. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, let me explain, because if you've not been to church in a long time, or maybe you've never been to church, you don't know what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee was a person who um, tried earning their way to God, tried impressing their Heavenly Father with what they know and how good they are. They were very religious And in that time, the Pharisees were kind of seen to have it all together. In fact, they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Because at that point, there wasn't a New Testament. It was just the 39 books of the beginning of your Bible. And they were very religious, very pious. Uh, They thought they kind of had it all together. And they didn't think that they really needed a lot of forgiveness from God. Because they were the best of the best of the best of the best. So these Pharisees were kind of the in crowd in, in the religious circles. Now, here, here's something very important to know. is in Luke chapter seven verse 36, in order for us to be able to put and understand the rest of this story, you're going to have to see how this is played out in another gospel because Luke gives us one portion and in Matthew chapter 26 verse 6 we get a little bit more information about this Pharisee. Now we read in Luke chapter 7 we're going to see it, his name is Simon. But in Matthew chapter 26 verse 6 we read that yes his name is Simon, he is from Bethany, and he previous, previously had what? Leprosy. Now, leprosy, many of us, we don't know what leprosy is. It was a disease of that time, and it was a dreaded disease. Let me explain a little bit about leprosy. Leprosy was thought to be a skin condition. And what happens is on the skin, there would become white splotches on the skin. And after a while, if it was left untreated, you had some hard time feeling where those white splotches were at. Now, as we know today, leprosy is really not a skin disease at all. It's actually a disease of the central nervous system, and this, is, and this is the horrific thing about leprosy, is in leprosy, if left untreated, it kills nerve endings, and you can't feel pain. Now, some of y'all, you are thinking that's a good thing, right? I don't like pain, and nobody likes pain, but let me explain it this way. This past week, I was putting logs in our fireplace, and we have a metal grate to put the logs on. As I was Putting the logs in the fireplace, I I noticed that one of the logs was getting ready to, you know, come out. So still getting a poker. I just had to reach my finger in there because it it wasn't on fire yet. I'm not too freaky. I'm over here kind of reaching it in there. And what I thought, I I thought I touched the log, but I actually touched the metal grate that the log and the fire was sitting on. Now, I didn't hang on to that long time. I touched it and went, ooh, okay, that's done. I am done with that. Now, here's the thing. If I had leprosy. I could touch that metal grate and never know that I was actually touching the metal grate because you couldn't feel anything. They were just dead stumps. So I could be putting my hand on a fire or putting my hand on top of a burner on a stove and never would feel anything until I smelled something. And so it's like stubbing your toe. You know, anytime you stub your toe, you think of four-letter words. Some of you say four-letter words. Some of you throw stuff, right? Um, and you're like, oh, that hurts. And, but imagine if you had leprosy and you stubbed your toe. Well, that's a good thing, right? It is a good thing until you stubbed it so hard that you broke your toe. And you didn't know that you broke your toe. Until a month later and it started turning gangrene and you had to have it cut off. You see, leprosy prohibited you from feeling pain and leprosy what made this horrific is leprosy was contagious leprosy was contagious so lepers in that day and age they were seen as unclean they were seen as ritually unclean they couldn't come to the temple they, they were, people were so afraid of getting leprosy that you could no longer you couldn't have human contact with somebody i mean reaching over and holding somebody's hand it's out of the question in fact if you had leprosy they banished you and you had to go to a leper colony You had to live with other people whose lives just slowly faded away into oblivion and whose parts just started falling off. I mean, you just didn't interact. You couldn't come to the temple and worship. Um, Here's another thing. And if you chose to get out of those leper colonies and you chose to walk up to Jerusalem, when you see somebody in the distance, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. I mean, it was a constant reminder that you didn't fit in, that you were ostracized. It was a constant reminder. I mean, these people, the only thing they wanted to do is just be normal and just be people that can just have relationships. But these people were ostracized, and they were reminded every time they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, don't come any closer. In fact, people, when they saw lepers, they would many times take up rocks and hurl at them just to make sure they wouldn't come close because they didn't want the disease. I mean, we have some diseases in this day and age that kind of has the same stigma as leprosy. And these people, yes, the, the rocks hurling at them hurt, but the words that were hurled at them even hurt worse. And some of you know the sting of that. By the way, one thing I am leaving out is in that culture, leprosy was synonymous with sin. That if you were a leper, you were an automatic worst of the sinner's. Now, with that in mind, let's go back and let's read Luke 7:36. And it says, "One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have him for dinner, and Jesus went to his home and sat down and eat, and this man, this Pharisee, previously had leprosy." Now verse 37: "When this certain um, um, immoral woman come to the city, heard that he was eating there, she bought a beautiful alabaster jar with expensive perfume. So we have this immoral woman who shows up at the house of Simon. Now, Simon was a Pharisee, used to be a leper, used to be ostracized. Now, for some reason, maybe he got healed, maybe it went away. He's okay. He's a holy Joe. He's a very religious person. He's part of the ink crowd. And he sees this woman on the fringes of society. It just says she's immoral. We don't know exactly what she's done to make herself immoral. She may have just been a person, a sinner. Because to all Pharisees, everybody was immoral except for them. This woman came with this alabaster jar filled with perfume. I mean, filled with this very expensive perfume. And the Pharisee, Simon, he's probably embarrassed that this woman's around. Look at verse 38. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears were fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on Jesus. Now look at Simon's response. When the Pharisee, we still don't know his name yet. We're we'll getting ready to see his name. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, this, if this man were a prophet, he would knew what kind of woman is touching him. She is a, and let's everybody say that, she is a sinner. Remember, she is unclean. Unclean, unclean, just like Simon used to be unclean, unclean. He forgot what he used to be. He forgot that he used to have leprosy. He forgot how it felt to be ostracized. And in verse 40, here in Luke chapter 7, look what Jesus says. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. By the way, only Jesus can answer thoughts. That's pretty cool. See, some of you ladies, you think you can answer thoughts. Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil. All right? If you're married, you think you know your man's thoughts. And to be honest with you, you probably do. If he's thinking about food or sex, you probably do. All right? Then Jesus answers his thoughts and said, what's that next word? Simon. You see, the same dude found in Matthew chapter 26 is the same dude found here in Luke chapter 7. And here in both of these, a woman kneels down and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And with the perfume. Jesus enters his thoughts and said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, go ahead, teacher. And Jesus begins telling a story to this professional religious person. This person who had it all together. Or so he thought. This Pharisee who used to have leprosy, who used to live as an outcast. Jesus is going to tell a story to him. And listen to what Jesus said tells a story about Jesus is all about correcting this guy's wrong beliefs to the lie that this person has accepted because he thinks hanging out with sin people, people who have sin, you're going to catch it. So the best thing to do is not hang around them. To have your guard up. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. I mean, think of it. you got one person who who owes $20,000, and you have another dude who owes $2,000. And the master says, I'm going to cancel both debts. I mean, they received something that they didn't actually deserve, both of them, right? None of them deserved having their debts canceled. And that's where we get the word grace from. It's something that's undeserved. The master unconditionally forgave both of their debts, the big one and the little one. Now, keep on going. What do you suppose, Who do you suppose loved him more after that, Jesus asked. Simon answered, uh-huh. Because I really feel like Simon probably thinks he's getting trapped. He's getting painted into a corner. Simon says, uh, I suppose the one who's been canceled the larger debt. And Jesus answers, that's right. Then he turned, this is verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Oh, I'm looking, Simon's thinking. I'm looking. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my feet, to wash the dust off of my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. We talked a little bit about this last week, but... The culture in that day and age was in, in the Middle East, in fact, even today, some of you know, I met a fellow who just came back from Iraq this week. I mean, you know, I mean, it's very arid, it's very dry. It's dusty. And th- they didn't have pavement. they didn't have asphalt or cement. They would go up along these roads, and the dust would cover not their boots, but their sandals. So anytime they would come into a person's home, there would be somebody there to wash their feet because everything else is fairly clean, but their feet was all dusty and grimy, and that's that's if it was dry, if it was wet, it was caked with mud. So this person, Simon, didn't really wash Jesus' feet, even though that was customary at the time. Look at this, verse 45, "...you didn't greet me with a kiss." But from the time I came in, she had not stopped kissing my feet. Now, some of you are going, oh, time out. Guys don't greet guys with a kiss. In that culture and in that time, they did. And it wasn't a kiss on the mouth. All right? It was usually, mwah, mu." you know? How, kind of how they do in different cultures. You've seen it done, all right? Some of y'all think I'm getting a little weird, but just hang out with me. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Here is a woman whose heart was filled with gratitude and love and thankfulness to Jesus. She was willing to touch Jesus. And in fact, in that day and age, unless you were married to a person, women didn't touch men. She she took off her head covering, which you never did. And she started washing Jesus' feet with her hair. I mean, she made herself socially unacceptable. And Simon thought, yeah, she's socially unacceptable, all right. She is a sinner, and I am not. That's his thought. That's his mindset. Now listen. Listen at what Jesus has, how he ends up this story. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. See, Jesus didn't just gloss over sin. Her sins, and there are many, are what? Have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows little love. Here we have two sinners, and both of them have the chance to being forgiven. Now, here's a a question. Is Simon a worse sinner or a better sinner than this woman? The answer, there is no worse or better. There's just sin. You see, we have a tendency to categorize sin, don't we? Oh, that person, he, he's a white, he just tells white lies, whatever that is. All right, so they're okay, but a person who embezzles, they're really bad. Or a person, you know, he looks at something inappropriate on the internet, he's, that's not too bad. But a person who goes out and commit adultery, oh, that's terrible. You see, God doesn't make distinctions. He sees Simon And we don't know the name of this woman, but this woman who was a sinner, he sees them both the same, on level ground. He sees them both as sinners. But the problem is, even though Jesus saw people like that, Simon didn't see himself like that. She recognized that she was a sinner and that her sins were really big, really huge, Simon did not recognize that he was a sinner, and yet his sins were really big and huge just as well. He forgot what it meant to feel ostracized, to feel on the outside. He didn't put himself on the same playing level as this immoral woman. But this woman recognized that she was a sinner, and she needed Jesus Christ. Now look at this, verse 48. Then then Jesus said to the woman, "'Your sins are forgiven.'" And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man who goes around forgiving sins? They're thinking, the only person who can forgive sins is who? God. So and if Jesus is saying he's forgiven sins, then he's saying he is God. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I'm saying. I am God. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me tell you uh, just a truism right here. Found people find people. Found people find people. If Jesus has found you, your natural inclination is you want to go and you want to find other people who don't have a relationship with their father. But we get the opposite of that today in our big idea. Our big idea is this. Found people don't find people when they forget their foul ups Found people do not go and find people when they forget. When they forget all of their mess, all of their stuff, when they forget what it felt like to be on the outside, Simon forgot. Simon forgot the sting of what it felt like to be somebody who could not come close to people, to somebody who couldn't have relationships, somebody who couldn't even get close to God because he didn't go to the temple to sacrifice. He forgot what it felt like to be totally alone and to have nobody to talk to. He forgot what it felt like. And just in case you think this was a Simon problem, this was a Pharisee problem. In fact, I want to close by this one, last, ver- one let- last set of verses. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says this. Jesus told a story of someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. By the way, that's the Pharisees. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. All right, the Pharisee in that day and age, everybody's going, yeah! Who's listening to the story and despised tax collector? What do we want to do to tax collectors today? Boo. That's exactly right. All right. By the way, if you work here with with the IRS, we love you. All right. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. I mean, look what I'm doing for God, this, this dude's saying. I mean, my stuff don't stink. I am pretty good, thank you very much. I don't, do, I don't, I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't go with girls who do. Right? I'm pretty good. And, 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 and here's the thing. Many of us, that's how we get when we get religious. What You just insert whatever you want to, whatever you think impresses your heavenly father. But look at what the tax collector prays, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. This guy knows he messed up. This guy knows his stuff stank. This guy knows he was jacked up, and he was so far from God. Now listen, this is what Jesus same principle here. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and for those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, when our, when our idea, if we believe the lie that if we hang out with sinners, we catch sin, let me tell you what your natural inclination is going to be. You're going to want to have an us versus them mentality. You're going to want to boycott them. You're going to want to look down your nose at them and yell at them and hold signs up at them because they're not acting the way you do. Here is just a... If they're not a Christian, guess what they're not going to act like? A Christian. Some of you are Christian and you don't even act like a Christian. You know what I'm saying? I've been that way. So if Christians don't act like Christians, why are we going to expect non-Christians to act like Christians? If we have this idea of avoidance, then what we're going to do is we're going to get really crazy, and we're going to say, you know what, let's get in our own little community, let's turn off electricity, let's put doilies on our heads, and let's play handbells. And that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to be in the world, but not of the world, the Bible says. In fact, look at Jesus. The whole miracle of Christmas in the incarnation is Jesus who was in heaven, came to earth to be around sinners. That's you and me. I mean, that's the whole point of Christmas. And he lived around sinners for 33 years, and yet he didn't catch sin. And the people who liked hanging out with him, you know who they were? Sinners. You know the people who crucified him? Sinners, yes, religious people who were sinners. People who thought, you know what, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good here. Come on, you see what I just did for you, God? Those are the people that killed Jesus. And let me tell you, the, the reason why we're uncovering this lie today is because what we do here at One Church is we do something called invest and invite. We believe that sin is not contagious, We don't believe that at all because the Bible doesn't teach that. So what we do and what we ask you to do is to hang out and invest your time in people who don't go to church. What we do and what we ask you to do is to invest your time in people who have a busted up relationship with their Heavenly Father. And we ask you to invest in them and pour your life in them and befriend them. And no, they're not going to act like you. They're not going to have your same values probably. That's okay. Because the people who were so unlike Jesus are the people who liked hanging out with Jesus. So we ask you to invest your lives in them and then invite them. Invite them to what? Well, invite them to hear your story. You can tell them how you became a Christ follower. Invite them to church. One of the reasons why we do church the way we do is we want to put, we want to communicate truth, but put it on the bottom shelf so that everybody, everybody say everybody. Everybody can understand God loves them. God is not mad at them. God loves them. That is the good news that we find in the Bible. So you can invite them to church. We ask that everybody would do this. And hear me, I think this is so huge. Imagine, and this is what I want you to do as we close. I want you to imagine 2011. This is the first Sunday in 2011. Imagine what, this, what your life would be like if you chose, you know what? I'm not going to run from people who are messed up. I'm going to run to them. Because that's what my Heavenly Father did to me. I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to love on them, and I'm going to spend time with them. People who have drinking problems, people who have drug problems, people who have sex problems, people who have friendship problems, people who have problems. And I'm not going to shun them, but I'm going to choose to go into their life where it's going to get a little messy, and I'm going to love on them you know, I, think, I don't think you get extra credit being a Christian if you do that. I think that is the real deal. That's what Jesus did for us, and that's what we're supposed to do for other people. And here's just a quick confession. I think me as a pastor, I can spend the rest of my life hanging out with church people, religious people, found people, and never get around to finding other people because I've forgotten that I've got some foul-ups. And I feel like if I did that, I could live my entire life that way and be a pastor that way, and I can get up to heaven and God can say, Chris, I love you, but you missed it. Because I came not for the found people, I came for the lost people. Jesus said it like this in Luke 19.10, that the Son of Man, Jesus, did not, come, did not come for the found people, but came for the lost people, for the dying people. That's what he says about himself. That's his mission. And that is our mission here at One Church. Is to find people that don't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father and lead them into that growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Everybody should have one of these. Lift them up if you do. I want you to hang on to these. You can put them down. I want you to hang on to these. In fact, what I'd like you to do is maybe get a sharpie and write maybe the initials, not the name, but the initials of somebody that you need to invest your life in, somebody who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, somebody who doesn't go to church. And I want you to just write their initials on them, and I just want you to maybe put this in your car, put this in your Bible, put this in your purse, whatever it is. And I want every time you see this, I want you to pray for that person and pray this. I don't want you to pray this, God, brings somebody to tell them about Jesus. (laughs) You are that person. You are that person. Let me tell you what you need to pray. God, give me an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Give me, help me, and if I if I don't know how to do that, give me an opportunity to invite them to church, and somebody else will tell them about Jesus. But don't just take the coward's way out, saying, "God, bring somebody." You are in their life. That's what. That's the reason God has you there. See, I can't reach that person because I'm not in your life. And some of you are very thankful. But I'm not in your life. All right. Got a couple of questions, and then we'll be done. How does this relate to... Oh, i got another one. Ever since I've... Oh, i got all kinds of them. Hang on a sec. we We'll get out in, in about 2 o'clock. I'm, I'm joking. I'm just joking. All right. Um, ever since I've become a Christian, the little bit of family I have looked down... The little bit of... Uh, ever since I've become a Christian, the little bit of family I have looked... I have, has looked down on me for it. how I do bring it up to them. I'm sorry, I'm having problems speaking. Uh, How do I bring it up to them knowing that they are non-believers without compromising the little relationship I have left? Do I keep uh, trying to talk to them and bring them to God or give up on talking to them about it? Okay, here's what I think this person's saying. This person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're trying to talk with their their family, who does not have a relationship with Jesus, and it's become a source of contention. So, how his question is, or this person, or her question is, is how do I do this without ruining the rest of the relationship I have left? Well, hear me. Our worship pastor, Joshua, he has this little thing on in his uh, in his office, and it says, "You may have to help me out with this, Josh. If my If my actions do not speak to them, my words never will. Sometimes, yes, you need to talk, but if you've talked and they know where you're at, stop talking to them right now and just love them like Jesus. You see, they're not going to be offended if you love them, just not going to happen. Love them like Jesus and see where that goes. And you know what? You pray, you pray, you pray, you pray. And it doesn't mean you stop talking altogether, but maybe you become like a broken record to them. And after a while, some of you know this, if somebody keeps on telling you the same things over and over again, you start ignoring them. So just stop talking and be. Be Jesus to them. All right? Uh, Next one. That's a great question. This one says, how does this relate to the scripture that bad company corrupts good character? That is a great question because there is a, 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 an element of truth to this principle. Here's the thing. I'm not saying your best friends need to be the people who are like totally running from God. You need to have a group of people hanging out with you who's going to hold you accountable. You've got to have that. You've totally got to have that. I mean, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners, but it, it, when he would go and hang out with them, guess who he had around them? He had 12 guys who followed them. I'll never forget, um, I ended up going to an establishment uh, here in town and uh, went up to the tap room of this establishment. Otherwise, I don't drink, um, but I just ended up going to the uh, tap room because my buddies were going up there and uh, we were hanging out. And These people who were going with me, they were Christ followers. They were very committed Christians. So um, we went there, and by hanging out there, I got to share my faith and invite a person to come to one church. And you know what happened? They came to one church. But see, I didn't go up there by myself. And this is what's very, very important. You've got to know your strengths and weaknesses. If you're an alcoholic, you probably shouldn't do that. Or if you are, you need to take four or five guys or gals with you who's going to say, you know, you can't do that. So you've you got to be very, very careful there. You've got to have a support system, and people are going to hold you accountable. That's a very great question. Got another one. Um, wow, this is a good one. What do I do for somebody I don't know how to tell them about Jesus? What should I do? And again, this goes to exactly why we do what we do here at One Church. The reason why we do church the way we do here with, you know, with the lights and the way we communicate this, it's not because we need this. I mean, you can worship God without light. You can worship God without a sound system or anything. Of this. The reason why we do this the way we do is so that when somebody shows up who's never been to church before, they will go, wow, that was church? I had fun. There wasn't an organ. There wasn't a stained glass anywhere. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I kind of feel like Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that. All right, But here's the thing. So many times the reason why, especially in the South, people don't go to church is because they've been to church, right? And they say, you know what, I don't think I want to go back. So we would ask, and and this is my encouragement to you, write down that person's initials, pray for them, and look for opportunities to be able to tell them about Jesus this next year. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, for how you love us. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that you didn't have that type of attitude that you could catch sin from us because you came from heaven to earth, lived for 33 years so that you could bring people to yourself. And Lord, I thank you so much for that, God, that all of us in here, that when you look at us, we're on level playing ground, that the, that the preacher's not any better than the prostitute. That we're all just the same. All of us are born sinners. All of us. And none of us are born having a great relationship with God. That in order for us to have a great relationship with God, we have to realize that we are a sinner. We have to realize that we are far apart from God. And Lord, it's once we realize that and ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart believing in him that he will take care of our sin problem. Lord, that's when you change us from the inside out. We love you, Jesus Christ. And it's in your great big name that we pray.